tell you what's been going on in my world. I've bought like uh, like five books about Zeppelins this week. <laughs> That's why you wanted to watch the Hindenburg episode of Nova? Yeah, I'm very into it. My wife sent me a an article a couple weeks ago about how airships are making a comeback. Did I tell you about this? No, like a real-life comeback with actual passengers? Oh, yeah. So here's the thing about airships. Um, airships are way more environmentally friendly than airplanes. Yeah. I knew that they they have far fewer carbon emissions and so the idea is that airships could replace in particular these short commuter aircraft flights which are a huge source of carbon emissions so let's say for example i'm a savage and i want to fly from kansas city to st louis mm. instead of driving for three hours i want to get in an airplane and be mm. in the air for 20 minutes and put a bunch of carbon dioxide into our polluted atmosphere. Well, the idea is that we could replace that commuter flight with an airship, which would take, I don't know, probably 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, something like that. But you wouldn't have to go in a car. You'd get beautiful views of scenic, you know, rural Missouri flying, flying over in a beautiful airship. And you would put like a 10th of the carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So there have been uh, several companies that have sort of come forward with these proposals. And on top of that, I was informed today about a very exciting opportunity to visit the North Pole by airship. No. Well, now oh, yeah. I'm way in. Well, so it does cost $65,000. Now I'm way out, but like. For like a a 36-hour flight to the North Pole. But, uh, I mean, you are flying in an airship to the North Pole, like flying over the remotest parts of the Earth. And then they land the airship at the North Pole, and then you get out and, you know, hike around at the North Pole and whatever, take your picture. And, you know, it's... um, it's an exciting opportunity. I'm, I'm way into it. If I had the money, I'd be, I'd be all over it, but I am, uh, I'm definitely going to jump on the airship bandwagon when that's a thing again. Is visibility better from an airship? Oh yeah. So here's the thing. An airship flies much lower than an airplane right. and, and much slower. So you're getting these beautiful sweeping vistas, you know, these scenic views. And because it's an airship, the, the cabin is much more spacious, so you've got some room to kind of move around. In fact, the airship that's going to the North Pole, it's called an Airlander 10. The uh, the body of the airship actually has like some glass bottom areas. So you literally like- That's what I was wondering. Like oh, yeah. the actual visibility of like outside oh, yeah. of the- Because I imagine just like an enclosed blimp and everyone's just like in a big balloon, but- No, that's dumb. Blimps are stupid. Airships are where it's at particularly rigid or semi-rigid airship. See, a blimp is a flaccid airship. It doesn't have any skeleton, doesn't have any meat. Um, a, br- a blimp or a, a blimp is, is flaccid. A zeppelin is it's erect. erect. Gotcha. It's, okay. it's rigid. It's rigid. It's rigid as can be. And then there are semi-rigid airships, which have some rigidity. You know, that's, that's kind of 50-50. Well, uh, speaking of erect, let's talk about the Chiefs. Welcome to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, the only Always Sunny in Philadelphia-themed Chiefs podcast where we also talk about airships, both flaccid and direct. Brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, I'm Austin. Find me on Twitter at RealBirdLawyer. Here with me, as always, is my man, Taylor Witt, who's learning about rigid airships this week. You can find him on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, what's going on? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. I didn't know they were coming back, but obviously you're the guy to ask. They're coming back in a big way. I am going to be the world's foremost expert on the law slash the Chiefs slash airships. Those are going to be my my specialty areas. Real airship lawyer. Real airship lawyer. That's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might, might have to change my hat. So we do have some news this week, and it does involve one of my day jobs, which is being a lawyer. Frank Clark went and got himself arrested, so we're going to talk about that. We've got some mailbag questions, and then for the second week in a row, we have a very special guest. Daniel Harms is going to be joining us in the show. We're going to talk all things Chiefs. We're going to probably talk some rookies. We're going to talk some offensive line. We're just going to see what he's doing with the film review, and that's going to be a great conversation. So definitely stay tuned for Mr. Harms. But let's get into the... So the the big news this week is that Frank Clark went and got himself arrested. And there's been a lot of reporting flying around. And I'm going to try and clarify that for you guys, because I am a lawyer and I have studied this case a little bit, what we know about it so far. So I'm just going to walk through a little chronology here and then we're going to kind of talk about this. So here's what happened. Frank Clark got arrested on Sunday night. We were told for possession of an illegal firearm in Los Angeles, California, that is a felony. So according to the Associated Press and the Star uh, and other outlets, apparently going from a statement by LAPD spokesman Tony M said that Frank Clark was arrested on suspicion of having a concealed firearm in his vehicle. So the initial reporting was by TMZ, our friends over at TMZ that broke, you know, the Tyree Kill story and before that the Kareem Hunt story persona non grata over at TMZ. So the TMZ story was based around the fact that the type of weapon was an Uzi, which is frankly hilarious. We're talking about, you know, the gun that, you know, Hans Gruber is using in Die Hard, you know, like, I, I mean, come on. So the TMZ reporting is that Frank Clark gets arrested for having an Uzi. And as this story is sort of developed, uh, we were told that he was arrested for having a concealed firearm, which is also a felony, um, but a different kind of felony than just possessing an Uzi, which in California is also a felony. We don't know what he's been formally charged with this week. So just to clarify, when someone gets arrested, that means that the police have probable cause that they've committed a crime that is arrestable. So if the police have probable cause that you've committed a felony, they can arrest you. They can send you to jail, you're booked. When you get booked, the police will write down whatever charge they think it is that they arrested you for. But I can tell you as a lawyer who then looks at those charges and decides what's actually going to be charged, that police frequently get the charges that they think they've arrested you for wrong. So the police might have written him a citation. They might have said, we're booking him for possession of an illegal firearm. They might have actually been booking him for possession of a concealed firearm. Or they might have been possessing or booking him for, you know, something else. They, sure. Whatever it is, they they thought he was committing a crime. They arrested him. The offenses that they booked him for, that they considered arrestworthy, are felonies. But we don't know what he's been formally charged with. So after you get arrested and you get booked, and in Frank's case, posted bail, you then will be uh, referred, essentially your case will be referred to a district attorney or a prosecutor for the formal filing of charges. So that's where I come in. That's what I do is my day job. We get a case, the police send over their files and they say, hey, we arrested Frank Clark last night. He got an Uzi in the back of the car. What are you gonna charge him with? 
And so then we have to look at the police reports and we have to look at the relevant statutes, the relevant law and say, well, uh, I mean, was he really possessing a concealed firearm? You saw it apparently in plain view in the back of his vehicle. So was it really concealed? I don't know if we can charge that LAPD. Um, what kind of an Uzi was it? Did you determine whether it was fully automatic or not? Was it loaded? What kind of caliber was this weapon? Was it registered? What year was it? You don't know all that information? Well, I don't know if we can charge him with possession of a legal weapon. I don't know enough information about this. Yeah. A lot of different ways that that can play out. So I would expect, we're recording this segment on Wednesday, I would expect that we will see some kind of formal charging document and some indication of what charges will form formally be filed by the end of this week. And we certainly will update you on Twitter and, and possibly also on the podcast if it happens, you know, before we drop this with what he's formally been charged with. So Taylor, any questions so far? I think I follow. We, we talked about it a little bit um, on the side when it happened. So I'm, I'm pretty up to date so far. Okay. So where this story started to take a turn because I weighed in immediately as soon as this happened. You sent me the TMZ link. Yep. I was buried in lawyer work, doing lawyer stuff. And you said, oh, Frank Clark got arrested. So I swooped in. I did a quick Twitter thread on this. I basically said, oh, he had an Uzi, you know, whatever. He doesn't have any prior felony convictions. You know, it's California. Sure, that sucks. But unless the feds want to get involved and charge him because he was, you know, carrying an 80s supervillain machine gun around <laughs> his car, uh, probably not anything super serious to worry about i mean he didn't shoot anybody with the gun he just he merely possessed a gun that maybe is illegal so and didn't his lawyer say that it was it actually belonged to his bodyguard did i see that somewhere i don't did know if say that, that was, and okay he did say that and i would certainly would expect his defense attorney to come out and say something like that but uh we'll get into the the possession aspect of it in a minute because that's that certainly is something that we'll pay close attention to as we move forward but where this story started to pick up some spice and some heat is when our friends at the Kansas City Star reported that he had been previously arrested for a weapons charge in March of 2021. So that this was the second felony arrest in the last three months. Here's where I think I can clarify some of this with my with my expertise and insider knowledge of how, you know, the law and stuff works. Mm -hmm. So again, when you get arrested for a crime, that doesn't mean that you have been charged with a crime. Apparently, our our friends over at CHIPS, California Highway Patrol, told the Star that they had charged Frank Clark with possession of an illegal weapon in March. In fact, what happened is that our friends at CHIPS arrested Frank Clark, and then he posted bail, and then nothing happened. The DA or... Uh, you know, law enforcement maybe didn't even refer the case to the DA. If they did refer it to the DA, the DA hasn't filed charges in that case yet. He's technically, he posted a bond, but nothing has happened. He hasn't been charged with a crime. When the star reached out to Highway Patrol for comment, the Highway Patrol told them that the case was under investigation. Here's the deal, Taylor. A traffic stop that involves possession of something in the car, whether it's drugs, whether it's a gun, whatever it is, that's about as uncomplicated a felony case as you can possibly have. Sure. It literally involves a span of time of maybe 30 minutes between the time that the vehicle is stopped and potentially searched to the time that somebody is arrested and booked. That's it. We're dealing with a, a very short period of time. We're dealing with a fixed place. It's a car, you know, 
however big the vehicle is, that's your body of evidence. You're not yep. talking about a mountain of reports here. You know, there's probably, I don't know, 20 or 25 pages of police reports tops. Okay. There's nothing for them to investigate. It's not fun. It's, it's not, it's not, I mean, it just, there's nothing for them to investigate. So for them to say that it's under investigation uh, and for there to be no charges yet filed from this incident in March suggests to me that somebody somewhere had kind of already made up their mind that they weren't going to charge him for this March incident. Now, the fact that he has subsequently picked up a similar charge three months later mm-hmm. might cause somebody to go back and look at that case again and say, hmm, well, we thought that this wasn't a very good case. There were a couple of guys in the car. Maybe we couldn't prove who had possession of the weapon. Well, now he's done it again. Maybe we want to take a closer look at this. We want to file charges. Question, Professor. Can yes. can you use a crime that happened in the future as any type of, you know, uh, I don't want to say evidence, but um, can it, can you use it to say, well, if you committed this crime later, that means that maybe you committed it earlier? No, you can't. And it's a good question. So in general, we cannot use evidence of other bad acts. That's mm-hmm. literally what it's called, other bad acts evidence gotcha. under the federal rules of evidence. And most states have similar rules. We cannot use other bad acts to prove that somebody did a crime. You can't just say this guy committed another crime some other time. So that means he definitely did this crime. Yeah. Because the thing is, people are very persuaded by that logic. Uh, juries are very persuaded by that logic. And our lawmakers over time throughout this great nation that we call the United States of America mm-hmm. have decided that that is not fair. And that if we as prosecutors yeah. could go in and say, this guy did another crime some other time, the jury would say, oh yeah, he's totally guilty. He's a criminal. So yeah, so, okay. yeah right. So we're not allowed to do that. Now, there are exceptions because while we cannot introduce evidence of other acts as just bad acts, like just say he did another crime, so therefore he's guilty. You can introduce it for other purposes, like, for example, lack of mistake. So in the second case, the second prosecution, you know, he could say, oh, it was my bodyguard's gun. Well, potentially the prosecution could, could go back and say, oh, yeah, well, he also got pulled over three months before that. And he also said, oh, it's my bodyguard's gun. I don't know anything about that gun. Yeah, That might be admissible to prove that you know, lack of mistake, knowledge, intent, etc. But I want to talk about possession, Taylor. You probably have heard that possession is nine tenths of the law. I have. That's baloney. That's not a real thing. That's <laughs> that's a it's a weird saying. It's a weird thing. It's a weird saying that somebody made up. But possession is a critical factor in these types of cases involving a vehicle stop and some illegal item found in the vehicle. Now we don't have a lot of details yet on this latest incident. It sounds like Frank was probably driving his souped up Lambo SUV. It sounds like maybe there were other people in the car, but I don't think that's been confirmed. There was another person in the car in the March incident. And that could be why he wasn't charged because if you pull over a vehicle and let's say you and I are sitting in the front seat of that vehicle and the officer sees a machine gun in the back seat in a duffel bag. Mm-hmm. And he says like, well, guys, that's illegal. You guys can't have that. Well, in order for either of us to be charged with a crime, that officer has to prove that one of us is possessing that firearm. And how do you prove I just thought it was on the driver every time. That's how that's how I would have assumed. So that's a good assumption, and that certainly is the state of the law in many states. It's not a hard and fast rule though. If somebody is driving the vehicle and it's their car, 
you know, typically we can go in and tell a jury, you know, like, well, of course he has knowledge of it. You know, if it's if it's within kind of his constructive possession, which if it's your car, you might say, you know, something in my trunk, I don't have it ready access to it, but it's it's within the, my control. You know, I could open up, pop up the trunk and get whatever it is that I have in my trunk out of there. If I know it's back there and it's within my vehicle, which, you know, typically the driver is going to be imputed with that kind of knowledge, then oftentimes that is the way that we would go with it. But it's not a hard and fast rule. And certainly defense attorneys have the ability to come in and make the opposite argument, which is, you know, I mean, this is, he's driving the car, the stuffle bags in the back seat. How, how, I mean, you know, he, he some other guy put the stuffle bag back here. Yeah, sure. He doesn't, he doesn't know what's in it. Therefore, he's not possessing it. Therefore, he is not guilty. So there are a lot of different ways that this can play out. First step is going to be formal charges. I would expect that to happen soon. Second step is his attorney is going to come in and lean very hard on whatever lower level deputy DA gets this case because this case isn't, I mean, it's not OJ, you know, going out <laughs> and killing somebody. It's just a possession of an illegal firearm, right? Like sure. it's a low level felony offense. So it's going to get stuck with some line deputy DA and his very expensive, you know, a presumably very competent defense attorney is going to call the DA probably like three times a day, three weeks in a row. Be like, have you, have you dismissed this case yet? The DA is going to be like, stop calling me. I'm extremely busy and I have actual real cases that are important that involve real crimes that aren't just possessing an Uzi and, you know, actual victims, people that have died or gotten seriously hurt or whatever. Stop bothering me about this case. And then eventually, after weeks of harassment, the DA is probably going to be like, this just isn't worth my time. I'm going to dismiss this. Or, you know, maybe it'll get set for a hearing and this high-powered defense attorney will roll in and eviscerate this cop on the stand and prove that, you know, the stop was pretextual or, you know, they can't establish possession of who actually possessed the weapon. And the case will right. We'll see. Right. There's a lot of different ways that this can play out. But at this point, I don't think there's significant cause for alarm. Well, other than what would happen with Frank Clark as far as the NFL goes, because you're probably, I mean, I, you know, I trust your expertise that he's probably not in a lot of legal trouble, but I mean, Zeke was suspended six games without being charged with a crime. So like, I don't you feel like the personal conduct policy is going to come into play here and probably Frank will get dinged from that, if nothing else? It's a great question, Taylor. And unfortunately, we just cannot predict what the NFL is going to do. No. Discipline. That's true. It's, it's an exceptionally unpredictable entity. People thought that Tyree Kill might never play football again, and then he yeah. ended up getting not suspended at all. Yeah. As you pointed out, Ezekiel Elliott was suspended for six games, and he was never charged, or at least the charges were dropped. I don't remember if he was formally charged or not, but in any case, I don't think he, he was, was never he was never convicted. Yeah. And then you have the case of Kareem, Kareem Hunt. People saw the video of Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt actually never pled guilty to anything, and. No. It, he was charged with, I think, maybe a municipal assault or something like that, or he might not even have been charged. Whatever happened with that, he got suspended for, I think it was eight games. Eight, eight, eight game suspension. Half season, that's right. Now, the difference between those cases and Frank's case is that, number there's one, a victim. there's a victim. And those cases, or at least Zeke's case, uh, involved domestic violence. Kareem Hunt's case was a stranger. So not a domestic violence incident, although it was a an incident involving a female victim, which obviously is a bad look for Kareem. It wasn't, wasn't good. Um, His was also obviously caught on video, which was leaked and, uh, you know, published under a very inflammatory headline from TMZ that said he brutalized, 
brutalized this woman, which um, did yeah. him no favors. No. Uh, certainly cast the actual video in a in a rather unflattering light to Kareem Hunt. But you know, I think looking at precedent for other uh, defendants or excuse me, other players who have been charged. Um, Ed Oliver was charged for a weapons charge last off season and did not receive any discipline. Now his case ultimately was dismissed, but that's instructive here because as we just discussed, the NFL doesn't necessarily follow yeah. what, you know, happens in court. So he was charged with an illegal weapon, I believe in Texas for having a gun while also committing a DUI. And apparently in the great state of Texas, where they believe in the second amendment, if you're committing a crime and you have a gun while you're committing a crime, that's illegal, which is a double crime. Yeah. It's a double crime. Uh, But because he, it turned out he wasn't committing a DUI. He blew zeros on the breathalyzer. They dropped the DUI, which then meant it was legal for him to have the gun. So he didn't receive any discipline and he didn't have an Uzi. He had a handgun, but I looked through all of the previous cases that I could find with NFL players, just involving possession of a weapon. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of history and a lot of precedent for the NFL suspending players merely for possessing guns. I don't think that's really a direction that the league or for that matter, the Chiefs want to go in. Because listen, I'm here to tell you right now, a ton of NFL players own guns. And a lot of them own guns yeah. that are probably illegal in some states. I mean, these guys make a lot of money. They obviously, some of them, including Frank Clark, come from pretty rough backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Clark grew up on Skid Row in Los Angeles, you know, very, very rough area. And, you know, had some legal issues in college. Um, now is a famous NFL athlete who makes hundreds of millions of dollars. I can see why the man would want some protection. And, you know, in this country, I I don't know that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. A a discussion about the second amendment is beyond the scope of this podcast, but I will say with respect to the NFL's disciplinary policy, I guess we'll wait and see, but unless some more information comes out and unless there's a victim identified here or something like that, I wouldn't expect him to see a suspension. I want to make one other quick note on Frank Clark before we close the book on that. For now, I'm sure we will be coming back to this case many times over the the coming months. And I appreciate all my new followers, by the way. Sure. This is uh, becoming something of an off-season tradition for me. Chiefs player commits legal infraction, and my (laughs) follower account goes through the roof, to the moon. Uh, I wish that there was another way to bump my follower count, but you know, I'll take it. I want to talk about one other possibility here, and I kind of mentioned it briefly, and that would be the possibility of the feds getting involved. So mm. the federal government, like each of our 50 states, can charge people with crimes. In my experience, and I've never worked for the federal government, but in my experience, the federal government does not care about the vast majority of crimes that are committed that could be charged under our federal criminal code. Because the feds are a giant, you know, monstrosity, you know, this whole (laughs) bureaucracy. They just don't really care about most things that happen. You know, most things that happen, they're like, that's fine, state courts, whatever. When I was working back in Missouri, I had uh, a government, a US government entity come to me with a, a counterfeiting case. Uh, for which the main, uh, the MSRP for the items that were counterfeited was like a bunch of Beats headphones and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was like a million dollars of counterfeit goods. And they were like, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office doesn't want this. It's not It's not big enough. So here you go. We're going to give it to you in state court. So 
just to give you an idea of how the federal government operates. So when it comes to gun charges, it's obviously illegal for you to possess certain types of guns at the federal level, including fully automatic weapons. It's also illegal for you to possess a weapon at the federal level if you have a prior felony conviction. But the feds, for the most part, are not going to swoop in and charge you at the federal level if you're not you know, a career criminal. Now, if you've got prior federal convictions and the feds find out that you have subsequently possessed a gun or, you know, let's escalate it all the way up to like yeah. a Uzi, then the feds are going to come in and charge you with, you know, being a felon in possession. They'll, they'll come in and care about that. If they've, if they've had people that have been in the federal system before that they find out then have gone out and possessed guns again, they'll come in and they'll hammer you pretty hard and send you to, you know, Alcatraz or whatever <laughs> for a number of years. Sure. That's not the situation with Frank, Frank Clark. So he had a legal incident in college, which resulted in a felony charge, but was pled down and did not res result in a felony conviction. So he doesn't have that issue on his record. He had a domestic violence incident when he was with the Seahawks that didn't go anywhere. He wasn't suspended. He wasn't charged. So while people can point to his record, Deadspin wrote an article this week that said Frank Clark with third felony arrest of the decade felony arrests don't actually mean anything legally speaking right, right. like felony convictions headline. yeah felony convictions matter felony arrests felony charges do not so at this point in time i would not expect the feds to get interested in this case really at all and as long as the feds stay out of it i think he's probably going to end up with a pretty favorable plea deal and no discipline from the league that's my official prediction we'll see how this case develops but frank come on man Come on. Well, the other thing that happened in the news, Titan University is now going on. And that's something that um, Kelsey, along with George Kittle and Greg Olson, kind of spearheaded this um, Titan Summit. And they're they're taking after, um, of course, Vaughn Miller has Pass Rush Summit. He started that four years ago. And the Eagles right tackle Lane Johnson has an offensive line scouting and development, basically the same thing. And he does that one with Duke Mayweather, by the way, who's a great follow on Twitter and absolutely crushes people constantly. So if you guys aren't following Duke, go look him up. But um, I just thought tight end U was kind of an interesting little um, situation that it's all the tight ends getting together and kind of banding together and talking about their position. And, and um, there was some stuff talked about on, I think it was Twitter about how, uh, you know, like we line up and we do the same stuff that the $15 million left tackle does. And we run routes against the same guys that the $15 million wide receivers run routes against. And they pay us $7 million, I think was what, um, how Greg Olson put it. And, you know, there's, you, there's really not a lot of argument there. I mean, they really do. They're a jack of all trades and they're an interesting position. We don't like them really very much in uh, fantasy football, but in real football, they are, uh, they're, they're very, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cool thing and it's cool to see Kelsey kind of taking ownership of that as obviously the best tight end in the league Yeah, and probably of all time. It's great to see him getting out and interacting with those guys, but it's exciting that tight end university is going on. It's exciting that the chiefs have the best tight end in football. I wonder if there's going to be any kind of like, uh, you know, feats of strength or, you know, if there's going to be some mm -hmm. method at tight end you to settle who is the best tight end in the league. Cause I got to imagine that a guy like George Kittle, a guy like Darren Waller, that they probably see themselves in that light. Now, obviously that's preposterous, yeah. but it would be cool if, you know, they had a way of just going, 
going out there on the field at tight end university and letting Travis show everybody how it's done. I, I don't know how <laughs> you would do it. I don't know how you would do it, but I feel like he would score well in that competition. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, he knows all the tricks. He knows all the, you know, there's a reason that he's the number one tight end in football and he'll be a hall of famer and all that stuff. So that'd be fun to see him go out there and flex against all the other tight ends that wish they could be him. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably going to flex by setting, you know, a new tight end receiving yard record again this year after <laughs> right. he just did last year and also did two or three year in 2018, three years ago. So, you know, he'll let uh, certainly his play on the field do the talking if he uh, if he can't, you know, assert his dominance, uh, demonstrate his value at tight end U. We've got some mailbag questions here before we get into our conversation with Dan, starting with our man CK Ranger 11 on our Discord server. If, you are, oh, if you're interested in joining our Discord server, send uh, Taylor a DM on Twitter. He'll give you the link and you can come in and hang out with us on Discord. It's a great time. He writes, the segment with Seth and the show overall was excellent. If you have not listened to last week, we had Seth Kaiser on. Plug for that show. It was great. Thank you for putting it together. You're welcome, CK Ranger. While you were discussing unheralded players, it got me thinking about lesser talked about players and whether they are more prone to looking for media slash Twitter mentions slash podcast discussions about themselves. Along that line of thinking, do you know whether any players actively listen or have listened to IASIC? If you had to guess, which players do you think are most likely to listen? Finally, if someone made a podcast about your career successes or lack thereof, (laughs) from a fan's perspective, how likely would you be to listen? I don't consider myself an attention seeker, but I would probably seek out and listen to every minute of criticism and praise and drive myself crazy. It's a great question. Um, I think there's, I mean, no, no Chiefs player has ever heard of our pod, let alone listen to it. I think that's very, very obvious, but um I, I think there's an easy answer for which player do you think is the most likely to listen? Do you have an easy slam dunk answer before I say mine? It's Tyron Matthew. Yeah, for sure. It's Tyron Matthew. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I mean, this dude, this dude slides into mentions of TM where they yeah. don't even spell out his name or at him or anything. And it's like a guy with 150 followers. That's like, yeah, TM sucks. And he comes in there. He's like, I'll fight you asshole. Like he just blows up. at I'm him. better so, I mean, at mowing grass than you. Yeah. 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 Random so, guy I mean, on the internet with 50 followers. Definitely. If we even mention, I, I won't be surprised right now. If we mention Tyron Matthews name, if we get a DM. From no, him. I mean, I agree with that. I think that, uh, I think that he's the easy answer there. I did want to say with regard to players that could have listened to the show, I do think didn't uh, didn't Dustin Colquitt make kind of a an always sunny reference or maybe it was he maybe did it was on his retirement um, yeah on his retirement Instagram or whatever maybe it, was. it wasn't retirement maybe it was when we cut him yeah it was when we cut him and he said something something it's always sunny and then we got tagged by a bunch of people that were like of hey did course. you see did you see Colquitt said it's always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom and we were like oh yeah we saw it for the brand so. I mean, I think we could throw Dustin Colquitt as a former chief. He, he could have he could have picked it up from there. Um, once you guys get those T-shirts, which for the latest round of you, they're on your way right now. Get out and wear those T-shirts. Spread the word. We're gonna have we're gonna have some players on here. We're gonna we're gonna have some people up in our DMs. Probably Tyron. We just have to talk smack about him. The problem is that we're too nice. Well, and also, players. we love him. And we love him. And we wouldn't say a bad word about Tyron Matthew on this podcast. He's definitely the guy. So if you had to guess which players are most likely to listen, that's Tyron Matthew. If someone made a 
a podcast about your career successes or lack thereof from a fan's perspective, how likely would you be to listen to that, Taylor? I mean, I've literally never been more likely to listen to any podcast than a podcast about me and about my, mine would be the lack thereof. Yours would probably be more in the other category, but mine would definitely be, uh, you know, it would be about how, I don't know how I get away with having a full-time job doing the things that I do every day, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think I'd I'd be a hundred percent in and I would love every second of it. I would also be in, uh, you know, a podcast maybe celebrates us a little bit. I, um, I would definitely be into that. Uh, I, I can't imagine. And, you know, players, it's, it's weird that not every player is this way. Obviously some are Tyron is this way. You know, we know there are guys out there that search their name and are looking for, for guys who are pumping them up or tearing them down. Mm -hmm. I would be way into it. I just would, um, I think it would be really interesting to, have some level of fame and hear people opine about your career accomplishments and sort of, you know, give their opinions about you. It just would be, uh, it would be quite fascinating. It would be one of those things where, I mean, as a, as a normal person who's not famous, right. You know, you don't really get that. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe somebody will like give you an attaboy at work or whatever, and maybe you'll have like a performance review where your boss is like, you know, I think you're, you're doing good at this and maybe you need to work on this. But other than that, I mean, you don't have like people just in the streets opining about your, your performance at work or wild in your personal life or whatever. It would be wild just to have people every day on the internet talking about how good you are at stuff or not good. Or bad you are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, athletes go through some of the most public criticism that any profession goes through and maybe the most, I mean, I guess politicians, but it's really athletes. I mean, you and I have a weekly podcast about the things that these athletes do well and don't do well. We talk about their personal lives. We talk about Frank Clark getting arrested and all that, you know, their whole lives are on display and Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a feeling that you and I have no concept of. Yeah. It's uh, it's wild. I appreciate that question. CK Ranger 11. That was a good one. Um, if anybody wants to make a podcast about it's always sunny and cheese <laughs> kingdom, I will appear on the podcast. I'm For happy sure. to guess. I'm happy to guest star on it. I'm happy to promote it. I'll slam that RT button. Even if somebody does it as a joke, I'm happy to promote that. I think it would be very <laughs> funny. I would be very flattered by that. So, you know, if anybody uh, wants to celebrate us a little bit, I'm all for it. That's hilarious. So CK Ranger, appreciate the question. And then our guy, Zach, the layman's terms, also on discord, he asked us question for the pod, the lowest five performing teams who fire their coach and are, are forced to draft a coach instead. And by instead, he means draft a coach instead of hire a coach. What current NFL coaches would you pick to interview and approve the coaches who enter into the draft, what stipulations would you put on the teams and what protections for those coaches? So I think, and I talked a little bit um, with Zach about this one on Twitter and, you know, the intent here is that instead of these teams that suck going out there and hiring more coaches that suck and going kind of through the whole process again, if instead they were picking from a pool of candidates that the successful coaches vetted, and, and that that was the pool of candidates that they were drafting as a head coach, you know, how would that process, maybe how would we want it to work or how, how could it maybe affect the teams and all, and all that kind of impact. Interesting. So, interesting so idea. it is an interesting idea. First of all, my main criticism with it or tweak that I would make to it is that the NFL first and foremost is the most competitive thing possible. And I can't really imagine if this panel 
of current successful coaches that were meant to vet these new coaches and put them into the draft process. I just can't imagine that they would want their competition to be hiring good coaches. I think that that's something that, you know, would go counter to trying to have a leg up on your competition and trying to always be, you know, especially guys like, like Bill Belichick, who would clearly vet and put through the worst candidates possible because he's already done, which he's already done without even, He's already doing that. He's That's a good point. Matt, he's putting Matt Patricia's and Bill Bell or Bill O'Brien's out there. Yeah, I yeah. mean, on that same vein, I think the the flip side of that could also potentially be true, which is that NFL teams are rife with nepotism and they are would promote their own kind of candidates, but maybe they wouldn't. I mean, like you know, I think Andy Reid would. Like, if Andy Reid could you know, vet Eric B and stick him in the coach's draft. If he thought that, that would get his guy a head coaching gig, he would do it. Sure. I don't know that every NFL head coach is that way. I mean, if they would, you know, wouldn't want to lose their best guys. Well, and also he was saying, Zach was saying that like, maybe these coaches, you know, their reputation would sort of be on the line. Like they mm-hmm. would be the coaches that oh, vetted these coaches. Sure. And if those guys all suck, then it kind of, you know, looks negatively on them again. I feel like reputation and that type of like honor system. I just don't think it, I don't think it flies. So my tweak to it would be that the, the vetting process would involve retired coaches or unemployed coaches or, you know, retired general managers, retired, just people that have been very close to the NFL, but are not, do not currently have a stake. And if that's the case, then, I mean, I think it's a, very, very intriguing system to have coaches be picked from other people outside of the organization, just like the players are. I mean, you know, when you go into the draft, if it's a crappy draft and you're picking first, then like, you're not just going to go, I mean, you know, you have to take the pool of players. So if there's a pool of coaches that have been pre-selected, yeah, maybe that does kind of jumpstart some teams that would have otherwise gone out and hired idiots to come in there and replace their head coaches. It's, it's a very intriguing situation for sure. Now here's the tweak that I would put on it. I would not have any vetting process at all. So I would make it more like the player draft where if you're a potential head coach and you want to be an NFL head coach, you just declare for the coaches draft and (laughs) you're just in, you're just in. Once you declare you're eligible for it. And so the twist obviously would be that, you know, the same pool of candidates is out there, except now it's not essentially a free agent process. Yeah. The worst team now gets, first gets the first pick. So if there's a hot coaching candidate out there, he might get selected by the Browns or the Jets or <laughs> the Lions instead of, you know, maybe going to a team that has a little bit more infrastructure. Like, I don't know. I, I don't want to say the, like the Jags, but like, let's say the Broncos, if they fire sure, Fangio, sure. The Broncos, if they fire Fangio or yeah, something like that, you know, like not the jets, <laughs> right? Not, yeah, right. Not the, I guess not the, the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, right. Exactly. Just not the worst teams in the league. Right. So then you still end up with the same candidates. And so if you're picking, you know, fifth or whatever, like you can hire Dan Campbell if you want. Uh, but if you're picking first, and there's a hot coaching candidate out there, you know, like you're, you're in. I also like, I like the idea of coaches like sort of publicly declaring. I do like too. I, I like that because 
we've seen some weird coaching hires in the last cycle, like Nick Sirianni now is the coach of the Eagles. I did not know who Nick Sirianni was, and I'm very plugged into the NFL. He was the Colts offensive coordinator, which I now know. Mm-hmm. But like I knew, you know, Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, was getting some some buzz as a potential hire like last year. And Nick Sirianni swoops in and gets the Eagles job. Dan Campbell, who I sort of vaguely remembered as a player, but did not realize was the tight ends coach for the New Orleans Saints, he How gets hired you? by the Lions. You know, you just have kind of these, I don't know, just kind of random. Well, David hires. Coley for the Texans. Sure. I mean, that was as the left field as they've one, gotten. It is. And I couldn't even remember his name at first, which is how left field he was. Like, I, yeah. I was thinking in my mind while I was spitting those names out Who there. Who the hell like, is that guy? There's <laughs> definitely another one that I'm definitely <laughs> missing. It's Dave Coley. So thank you for that poll. And I'm sorry, Dave Coley. Uh, I know a former Chiefs coach. But I think the idea of, like, knowing publicly – which guys are out there would be really interesting Mm -hmm. because it also would add a level of like accountability to the fans, right? Like the Cowboys, when they were hiring a head coach last off season, Mm -hmm. the fans were like, go hire Lincoln Riley, go pay him whatever he wants to leave uh, Oklahoma Oklahoma Mm -hmm. and come and coach the Cowboys. And instead the Cowboys hired Mike McCarthy. And, you know, we don't really know whether Lincoln Riley ever wanted to leave Oklahoma. It sounds like maybe he didn't because it's a pretty cush gig and he's getting paid like $10 million a year or something outrageous. Yeah. But if you had this public declaration, then, you know, teams could really like campaign for the coach that they want, right? Like, Man. you know, a certain guy is going to be on the market. You know that your your team is maybe going to like hire Mike McCarthy. I mean, you've got like months just like in the actual draft to go out and like campaign, like hold up signs in front of the team facility and so on and so forth, you know, like draft the enemy, draft the enemy. And then yeah, the press conferences, when they announce that they're going to oh, be, be a amazing. head coach candidate for the NFL. And Roger, imagine, imagine a college coach declaring and then not getting drafted. Oh, he'd have to go back to college. I mean, it would <laughs> be his tail between his legs. Yeah, it'd be a fiasco, man. That'd be, be wild. And then of course the best part about this is, you know, you'd have the, the draft night and you would have Roger up there getting booed <laughs> for a second time in your calendar year for a second draft for a coach's draft. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm into this idea. It's a fun idea. And with that, we have a very special guest joining the podcast. We have got Daniel Harms, film analyst for fantasy football astronauts and RGR football. You can find him on Twitter at inharmsway19. Daniel or Dan? You said Dan, right? Welcome to the show, yeah, Dan. That, thank you very much. I, uh, Dan, Daniel, it doesn't really matter. I will talk regardless because that's just the kind of person I am. Sure, Danny. <laughs> you go. Oh, that's, Dan. Who calls that's, you Danny? Someone's that's a got big it. no. Actually, that's... the only person that's ever called me Danny is my junior high football coach. That's it. <laughs> nice. That's literally it. <laughs> nice. Well, so we've got some uh, stuff we wanted to run your way. Uh, you being the film expert that you are, uh, I know you're doing a deep dive right now on Hardman and Powell and kind of the wide receiver right, wide receiver two situation. Um, what can you tell us that stood out to you so far looking at these guys on film? Yeah, so I'm doing a comprehensive film on Hardman from the last year. I'm starting at the beginning of the season. I'm doing some in the middle and then at the end so I get a good, basically a good grasp of what he's worked on throughout the season and I can kind of put that through the review to show everyone what he does well and, you know, what the offseason did not afford him the ability to do, which Mm -hmm. I think we all kind of understand was not being in the right spot with Mm -hmm. Mahomes a lot. And I think that when we look at the the 
the a wide receiver room as a whole, you have Sammy Walk, you had Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill, who seemed to be on the same page with with um Mahomes most of the time. And then you look at the other guys who didn't really get that off season because they're not starters and they don't have that uh, that amount of time to really work with Mahomes. So I think we can see that trickle down throughout you know all of last year, but not just you know Pringle and CEH and, and Hardman just not being in the right spot on the field. And I think we can rightfully assume that a lot of that development didn't get had because of the off season and there wasn't time to get everyone on the same page. I think this year is a little bit different now because you have Hardman and you're going to have Pringle, I assume be working in a lot of the first team reps and getting on that same page with Mahomes, which is so important. We know that he and Kelsey have this cerebral connection. He doesn't have to be looking where he's at. He can throw the football wherever he wants, and he's going to always be in the same spot. So, you know, that's really what this comes down to. I think that the wide receiver room is fine because Mahomes is a different breed of quarterback. He doesn't have to have those, you know, for example, like Tom Brady has him in Tampa Bay. He's got three legit number one guys at one point in their career. So I think that he doesn't necessarily, Mahomes doesn't need to have that now. And the room that he's got around him, especially with the addition of Powell, who I'm sure we'll get to, as you all know, if you follow me on Twitter, I have an undying love for that man and yeah. I can't say no. <laughs> yeah, so sure. it's going to be lots of fun. Now, when you're looking at, the tape is the being in the wrong spot is that like problem one for mccall like all else being equal is it just the mechanic or the connection with mahomes is that really his main issue not i wouldn't say necessarily his main issue but i won't give too much away but the first thing that i noticed early in the season was for his a guy his size you know he's not the biggest guy in the field his frame is doesn't allow him to really put a lot of muscle on like if you compare him side by side the Tyreek Hill he's a bit taller but his frame is much more slender mm-hmm. you know Hill can put can just keep, pretty much keep putting muscle muscle mass on it and he only gets better he so. is he is proportioned like no other human being yeah. exists in he's nature. like DK Metcalf but like a foot shorter <laughs> yeah, like right that's good yeah, that's good that's exactly right yeah for sure ridiculous but so yeah the frame is a very different thing for him so contact was an issue when I first you know began the season and his usage was a little bit different as well because if you go from 2019 to 2020 to or 2020 he had basically the same stats like if you look at the on the the, the sheet basically right. he's got like 500 and a little bit and 500 a little bit but he had more receptions in 2020 so his efficiency went down because teams understand what the chiefs want to use him for deep down the field some hitch routes here and there things like that and get him in the ball quickly to try and let him make plays so you know that that whole thing really was an issue for him but being on the field timing is repetition it's being with the first team it's having all of those reps with a one-on-one with time with Mahomes outside of practice I think that that is even more important than just being, you know, on the field, we all say, you know, just get them on the field in the game. It's going to help. They need those repetitions because this, especially because the offense was so bad. The offensive line was so bad. He's the timing was so important to the, to the success of almost every passing play, unless obviously Mahomes got out, out of the pocket and make things happen. But when he's getting the ball out quick like that, it's got to move and you have to be in the right spot at the right time or the ball is going over your head. And that's where the PFF gets those this could have been interceptable balls because Mahomes is expecting <laughs> you to be in this spot, but guess mm. what? You're not because you don't have that repetition. 
Do you think with Hardman in year three, do you see him? I mean, it, it seems to me like when I watch Hardman, you know, one of the things that Sammy did really well, and one of the things that Tyreek and Travis Kelsey do really well, and to a certain extent, even Demarcus Robinson, they're the guys, and Brett Beach has talked about this with certain players. I know he's even said this about Antonio Brown before um, when he was talking about Antonio Brown a couple off seasons ago, but guys that once they've run their route, they have the ability to freelance. And we've seen, I mean, really Demarcus Robinson's best moments have come <laughs> freelancing because he still somehow doesn't have a super well-developed route tree, but he just has the ability, you know, when Mahomes gets out of the pocket to make something happen. And certainly Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are in- incredibly dangerous in that situation. You would think that McCall Hardman, with his speed and his burst, you know, could be a guy that could maybe develop into that, but he doesn't feel like he necessarily has those instincts or, or am I wrong about that? I think that a lot of it too is, I mean, Mahomes is a different type of get out of the pocket. It's always at like a split second moment. And sure. when you, when you're watching you guys move from one side of the, to the other, for example, Hardman's route tree, what is so limited in the sense that if he's doing just like a hitch route or a flare to the, the flat, basically, and Mahomes is breaking to the exact opposite side of the field, like, where is he going to go? He's got to basically scream across the field. Sure. And so there's some aspect of that, but I think there was a multiple different plays this last year. I don't know if you remember the game. I, I literally just watched it. So it had to have been like, I said to watch the Patriots and then no, I wasn't that game, but it was like the, it, it was in the middle of the season against the Jets. So it was against the Jets on that third and like 19 where Mahomes got out, out of the pocket to the left and he yes. gets it to Hardman who almost got that first down, but got tripped up from behind. He was doing everything you're supposed to do on that, which is follow the quarterback, read the eyes. And then he did something with, that I don't see a whole lot of from him. He manipulated the corner as he's going up the left sideline hmm. and he made him, extend out to the sideline and that's when he cut back inside to get open for that that pass which almost got that first down and then they stupidly ran it up the middle for oh, a yeah. no gain and turned it over on fourth down so oh, but, but <laughs> yeah that was the the frustrating part but it's it's a work in progress and he's not on the field in practice you have to you know have to get all those where you want to be on the field at the same time and when they're breaking down robinson's been doing it ever since you know Mahomes was a rookie. They were on the second team together. Those uh, uh, preseason games where he had those, those the same exact type of plays. So they've been doing that for a long time. And he and McColl just haven't had that. When you get one-on-one time with Mahomes outside of practice and you can do things like that, and it's a little bit different. But I think McColl can definitely read what's happening as a breakdown, but it really all depends on his route tree. So going off of that, do you feel that McColl's trending in the right direction at least i mean so you watched beginning tape middle tape end tape of last year did you see improvements did you are you someone who feels like going into this year this could be a big year for hardman because you would be in the minority there just as far as chief's twitter goes i know everyone's ready to cut him yesterday um i feel like i'm i'm decently optimistic on the kid i think he's got some upside but what did you see some progression last year with him yeah there's some improvements in different aspects of his game, but I think that the off season is going to be the most important key to his success this year. And since one, we haven't really seen much of that. We're going to get to see a little bit in training camp because thank the Lord, we get to go see training camp. That's right. (laughs) And uh, so I think that 
really what it's going to come down to is seeing his usage. Because if I'm being completely honest, he's not a Sammy Watkins replacement. Obviously, right, you're not no. going to put him in and make him do what Watkins was. But honestly, he should run more slant routes. That's what I think can really get him the ball in space, something they didn't do with Sammy Watkins enough, which don't get me started. Um, <laughs> obviously, his best route was the slant, but he seemed to always find the ball where he's surrounded by five different people. And he just has to go down to the ground. So that was irritating enough. But if you can get Hardman in the slot, because you're going to use him in the slot a, a lot anyway, use sure. those slant routes because they're going to be off coverage on him most of the time. That's going to get him the ball in space, especially with an offensive line that can actually block. So you have a little bit of a threat to run the football. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun, and, huh? Yeah, that will be fun. So maybe you can draw up linebackers a little bit more, find some space for him. But yeah, I do think that we're going to see some progression, just natural going into your third year. Like this is usually when you see that takeoff. And I think that we, unfortunately, his growth was stunted last year. That's just kind of how it was. It happened all over the NFL. And I think we're finally going to probably see, excuse me, a little bit of that improvement that we should have saw last year, this year. So we've talked about Hardman and, you know, we're expecting to see some growth from him. But as you pointed out, I mean, he's not he's not Sammy Watkins. He's not he's not built like Sammy Watkins. He doesn't run the same routes that Sammy Watkins does. It feels like this team has like six slot receivers (laughs) and like not really a single X receiver. Now, obviously, uh, Noah Gray and Cornell Powell are guys that the Chiefs just drafted that physically at least make a little bit more sense maybe in that role. Um, what have you seen or, or based on the guys that we have on the roster now, I mean, who steps into the Sammy role? Yeah, the Sammy role is going to be a fill by. So there's just going to be a bunch of guys looking for that spot. But I think that that right now Byron Pringle has the most – let's say the best profile to do that right away. Um, Really, if you think about it, I think that he mirrors a lot of what Sammy can do in terms of running good routes, getting open, having that type bigger type of body, but still having some explosion after the catch. Now we didn't get to see a whole lot of that because as I mentioned earlier with McCall Hardman, when you're not a starter, you don't get those reps. You're not going to be on the same page with Mahomes and Last year specifically, I can't tell you how many times Mahomes went, Kelsey Hill, get down and run or try to do something with the football. It was not – it was very specific, and that just lends itself to what happened in the Super Bowl, for example, because you go to those first two reads, and the team defense knows you're going to go to those first two reads. Right. And it it really just kind of unraveled from there. I think that he watched that game over again. He talked a bit about how even with that bad offensive line that had, he had options to – hand the ball off on those RPOs. And so when I see Mahomes learning from the Super Bowl specifically is that he needs to get to other reads, maybe a little bit quicker, maybe a little bit faster in terms of going there first, not always having to, I know that players are drawn up specifically for guys like Hill and Kelsey and rightfully so, but you want to get more space for them too. So you want to be able to get the ball to guys like Pringle and Hardman and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Corner Powell eventually. Like this is going to be a process of learning where you can facilitate guys like Pringle because there's multiple times. I don't know if you remember the the Jets game where Pringle actually blew past everybody in the defense and he just overthrew Mm -hmm. him. He was Mm -hmm. wide open. There is there there's talent there. He can run routes. I think that he's 
definitely able to fill in terms of what they were having Sammy Watkins do. Obviously, he's not the, the elite level of what Sammy used to be. Now I feel like his legs have just left him for the yeah. most part. Yeah. <laughs> he just looked kind of. Hey, he's getting down. a lot of buzz in Ravens camp. Okay, he's he's their That's best right. wide receiver. So you I know. mean, he should. You know, he can catch I, those I, wobblers. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not going to see it anymore anyway, right? Yeah. Right. Dan, well, Dan right. for practice. Dan. Dan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, I really hope. So as far as past a little bit past Hardman and Powell on the depth chart. And we talked a little bit about Pringle. We all kind of know what we're getting with Demarcus Robinson after those five. If, is there any name that you feel like is even going to get some playing time on that list? And of course we're talking about Antonio Callaway, Gary Dieter, Maurice French, Chris Fink, Jody Fortson, Doris Fountain, Marcus Kemp, any of those guys that are in camp that are a wide receiver body that you feel like, Oh, if the, if the right breaks happen with this guy, we could actually see him on Sundays. Yeah, there's two guys that really come out, and Antonio Callaway specifically only because he is an incredible athlete. We did see him in his time as in uh, Cleveland, so he does have talent. Now it's about getting the off-field stuff and his his brain mentally there. So if he's right. if he's there all the way back, he's gonna provide something. I think that the Chiefs don't always have in terms of an athletic type of wide receiver, but a guy who I personally like and will always want to see on the field on Sundays is Maurice French. I think he can be not only a returner because he was electric at Pittsburgh doing just that being a return guy. And you don't have to have McCall Hardman be a returner. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to bring it up, but he did have some issues with returns in the last couple of years. Yeah. Adventures is a good way to describe it, but French is, a little bit, I think he's like 5'10", 5'11", and he's of the Byron Pringle mold. Like, he's physically built that way, but he's also like four, three, five speed. He's got speed to burn, and I think I watched his tape coming out of Pittsburgh, and it's very littered with some interesting things, mostly because the quarterback <laughs> play was dreadful, as you can imagine, it being Pittsburgh. It's not exactly a great sure. hub of quarterback play. Um a lot of fun things after the catch. He's not the twitchiest guy in the world, but he can blow past people. He can actually go get the football in terms of playing through some contact that I saw. I, I have a soft spot for him. I want him to make the roster. I want to see him as a returner first and work in a little bit on the offense, just because I think that with that speed, because clearly the chiefs like to have speed to burn. He can bring some of that as well. I, I just, he's got a soft spot for me. Was he was his college quarterback Nathan Peterman or was Peterman before him? Uh, Peterman I, was before him. Okay, I was gonna say when you when you talk about horrible looking football play <laughs> in Pittsburgh, I just immediately think of Nathan Peterman, former Pittsburgh alum. Uh, but I guess I guess they didn't quite overlap. So it was somebody that was probably worse than Nathan Peterman. I think right? it was like, Hackett, if I remember correctly. Oh, sure, right. So uh, <laughs> worse than Nathan Peterman is, is a high bar to clear. But uh, yeah. I, I think we can we can go there with Hackett for sure. Just about. So who's going to be like if you had to predict now? And obviously you're you're doing some work for fantasy football astronauts now. And I see you posting about dynasty. I've, I've been picking your ear about some dynasty stuff. Who's gonna Who's gonna finish third on this team in receiving yards? Obviously Kelsey and Hill are going to be far and away above the pack. I mean, last year they finished 700 yards ahead of anybody else, and you know yeah. Hill missed a game. 
um, didn't play in the last game of the season. Neither did Kelsey Hardman was second on the team with 560 receiving yards, or third on the team with 560 receiving yards last year. Who, who finishes third in yards on this team? You know, if it's, if we're using the offense properly, it should be Clyde Edwards Hilaire by a long, but <laughs> oh, not by I a long it. shot, but it. it should be Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I love it. I love it. We all talked for a year yeah. about what the Chiefs were going to do with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And, you know, Andy really did it. Out, no, they didn't. And Andy Reid came out and he addressed it. You know, he said, we didn't, we tried to get him in the, just the, the, the offense essentially last year. Like he didn't have the full playbook and he was picking up what they had, but it, it wasn't enough. And if you really look at the beginning of the season outside of the first game, which was just him running on the ground because the Houston Texans defense was terrible. You know, he had like seven or eight targets in the Chargers game. He was being utilized as a number one NFL back because that's what he can bring. And there's a, a couple of different games where he has like nine targets or close to eight or nine targets. That one catch will always be, even though it came back because of a holding penalty against yeah. the Chargers where he spins oh, in the beautiful. air oh, down the field yeah. and catches it. Like that's that's what you're getting from a guy who can not only attack the short and intermediate parts of the field, but we all remember when the Chiefs came out to play against the draining Super Bowl champions, the Patriots, with Alex Smith and his brand new offense, he was going to throw mm-hmm. the ball down the field. Oh, yeah. And back-to-back years, Kareem Hunt were catching seam balls down, going for a touchdown. They can do that with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and that's something that I really think we're going to see this next year in terms of using him more as a seam threat. Because you can have Travis Kelsey in one seam and bring Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the other seam. Guess what? Someone's open. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it's an Andy Reed offense. What happened to the screens? The screens used to eat people alive. And I feel yeah. like they just kind of went away. And not only is Clyde set up to be a good screen back, but now that the offensive line is there and now that, you know, you don't really know if you're going to have to defend the run or the pass as much. I just feel like the screen is set up to have a prime comeback in the Andy Reed offense this year. It, it better because that's exactly what you're, you're talking about. It's a, it's a staple of the Andy Reid offense. All the running backs ate on the screen passes. He made Spencer Ware and Charkhandrick West yes. eat on these, on the screen yes. passes. And it, now that the offensive line isn't just, you know, letting people buy right. like on, a, on a screen pass, you're essentially supposed to right. let them buy, but not just <laughs> completely let them buy. They're like, Oh, we're good at this. We can do that all day. <laughs> yeah. That, and you're missing guys in open field. Let's just have multiple images of Austin Ryder going on a screen <sighs> and just missing his blocker. Like just missing it. They're just missing. I don't, I don't know, man. It's just, it's a frustrating thing to watch, but this year they should come back with a vengeance because they've got some guys that they're bigger but they can still move in screens and pulls, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see it. Is there any aspect of the film so far, other than we've talked a lot about the wide receiver play, we just hit a little bit on the offensive line play. Is there something that has kind of caught your eye as you've been going over stuff about maybe something that the Chiefs can use that we haven't seen them just abuse already as far as mismatches or just any X's and O's stuff that you're kind of excited to see more of? It's going to, I know people are going to be a little surprised by this, but it's going to be them running the football. Nice. And mm. like, sure. I'm, I am definitely more of a, a pass kind of guy. But when I grew up watching football, the, the running backs were my favorite, like, Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson, yeah. Jamal Charles. I grew up watching those guys. And like, that's how I, I wanted to be a running back in, in high school. Like I'm six, five, like that's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, But I wanted to be one. And, and so that's 
what really got me into football in the first place, I always create a character on, you know, Madden, it's always a running back. So like yep. running the football is not just, you know, as people say to run the clock out or the least efficient way of moving the football in, in some aspects it is, but you're also doing a lot of things to free up your quarterback and your playmakers. If you look at the Tennessee Titans, for example, yeah, they run the ball like nobody's business because they have like the scariest running back in the NFL who is yeah. like six two, six three. Yeah. Can bulldoze people. But if you look at the the passing game, it's probably the most efficient in the NFL. Brian yeah. Tannehill comes into a perfect situation because he's he's not gonna be a guy who sits in the pocket and goes through his reads and gets out and makes things happen. But if you give him play action game that's built off of a strong run game, he's able to deliver it to everyone all over the field. If you look back to the the Titans game and the AFC Championship game in the beginning of that game when they went down the field, it was wide open to A.J. Brown multiple times and Corey Davis. Like, they were wide open on these play-action looks. And the Chiefs' play-action game has not exactly been stellar. Watch the Super Bowl. You can see linebackers just coming back and waiting for the play-action or the RPO game. So... They can run the football effectively and make some teams respect it even a little bit more. That's going to open everything up and make it more efficient, which is the end goal. Were you a, a Julio? Did you want Julio on the Chiefs real bad? Or were you kind of? Oh, no, uh, I don't care. It wasn't like a, I need to have Julio on the Chiefs. Like I know Seth Kaiser was like all about like, I need to have Julio on the team just because oh, he can do some things. But I, I, mean, I was, I was heartbroken. <laughs> when we didn't get him, absolutely heartbroken. They would have gone twenty and zero, no question about my mind. I mean, who knows? Maybe he plays five games this year. We don't really know. But like, I'm not ever like, for example, I'm not someone who looks back at the draft when they drafted Harmon and say, "Hey, they're going to yeah. draft the DK Metcalf." I'm yeah. not going to do that. Well, you could do that every year with every team. I mean, you can team. always have draft, you know, what ifs. But that's that's yeah. sports in general. You just can't yeah. always predict them, and especially, man, the NFL draft is so unpredictable. There are so many absolute busts in the top ten, and you just can't. Most of them yeah. drafted by the Raiders. So. Most of them drafted by the Raiders. Not, not, not lying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, it, it does feel like, I mean, we talked about the, the screens not coming in. We talked about the run game not necessarily being there. We kind of touched on this already, but it feels like the offense last year was just not as creative as we've seen in years past, whether it be 2019 or even going back to 2018 in Mahomes' first year when he was still, you know, compared to where he is now, a little bit raw. Is it just the offensive line? Like how, how much of a difference – is it going to be going from the offensive line we saw certainly in the Super Bowl, but even kind of in the middle of last year when Mitch was out and the interior has been a mess? I mean, how big of a difference is that going to be to the offense as a whole? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think if you look at the way that Andy Reid approached the red zone last year mm-hmm. specifically, it really tells the whole story because yeah. beginning of the year, and this actually translates right into some fantasy football talk too. Clyde nice. Edwards-Alaire was getting the ball and the goal line all the time and getting stuffed and getting stuffed Ugh, and getting it was stuffed. Extremely frustrating. It was extremely Clyde frustrating. Clyde owners, yes. Yeah. Not just Clyde owners, but it had to be frustrating for him. Like he's not a bad goal line back and he got labeled as a bad goal line back because of the bad offensive line. And that forced Andy Reid to do multiple different looks and fake plays and, you know, the underhead toss to uh, Sherm. 
to Sherman and it, all these different things trying to have Kelsey throw the ball to, to Mahomes in the uh, end zone. Yeah. Like, uh, it was open. Exactly. Like, it was open, Trav. It's a yeah. weird thing, but it directly translates to how Andy Reid runs his offense. In the red zone, if you look back pretty much at any time, especially during the Mahomes era, he's a pass-happy guy. But in the red zone, he switches it up. He prefers to run the football. And that has been a staple in Andy Reid's, you know, pretty much game plan going back to Philadelphia. He likes to throw the football, but in the red zone, he prefers to switch it up, assuming you're going to expect the pass. Last year, he directly and instinctively went away from it, especially near the middle of the season, because he realized his offensive line wasn't able to move people at all in the red zone. So while I think that the offense itself was a little, it looked a little less creative, he had limitations, but it also got more creative with the things he had to do to try and score. Yeah, that's fair. So I've had this worry, and I guess maybe I wouldn't even call it a worry, but a I, I'm wondering how much emphasis both the Chiefs and their opponents will put on the Super Bowl tape because it's just so unlike the Chiefs. That entire game, you know, nine points, no touchdowns, lose by a bunch. They hadn't done any of that before. And I wonder from the Chiefs' perspective, you know, how much of that game do they just flush down the toilet? And how much do they try and look at the tape where we had – backup offensive linemen all over the place and try and learn something from it. And then on the flip side, I mean, if these other teams think that that's the blueprint to beat the chiefs, they're in for a horrible awakening when they line up against them in 2021, when it's not going to look like that at all. I just, what are your thoughts on how much that game will maybe impact both the way the chiefs plan and the way opponents plan for them? Yeah. I think that when you look at what Tampa Bay did specifically in defense, it was mirroring what the chargers did in week two. And yeah. that was largely based off of personnel groupings and being able to play with your front four can always getting by the offensive line. <laughs> but what Tampa Bay has that the chargers don't, they had two linebackers and specifically corners that could play physically at the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. and the linebackers that could actually fly over the field. And that's really what we're going to look at for going into this year, because the you know, Tampa Bay actually did something very well with their corners. They were playing physically with not only, you know, Hill and McColl and Sammy and, and pretty much everybody off the line. They were getting jammed. They were getting bumped. They were getting moved. And that throws off the timing of the offense. So not only are we talking about receivers not getting to the spot on time, and you see multiple times Mahomes has to, like, clutch, double clutch, and things like that. That pairs into exactly what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers tried to do with their front four is they moved defensive ends inside all the time and matched them up with guards in Nick Allegretti and, you know, Wisniewski, who was basically playing off of an injury and and being rusty. And they were able to abuse the interior offensive line because they're just they were not up to snuff against defensive ends. And I don't necessarily think that Nick Allegretti, Austin Ryder and Stefan Wisniewski should be should have to ask to be to do yeah. that and, and so right. they did a they had a perfect game plan i won't get into the chiefs offense not adjusting uh, but uh, uh, but because i could literally talk an entire episode about that mm-hmm. um so oh, who wants to do that i don't i don't want to dwell on that I, dude, I just... we didn't do a pod for three straight weeks and we've done one once a week since the like two weeks after the first super bowl and we uh, literally austin i just terrible. couldn't do it we just couldn't get on it was <laughs> no, i get it no, i get it but yeah so i think that defenses are going to look 
and try to play more physically with the Chiefs wide receivers to begin with the season. And that's going to bring more guys to the line, obviously. But you, if you can start gashing defenses in the run game, guess where those corners aren't going to be? They're not going to be back in the backfield, back in the, you know the backfield to stop those long runs. So I think that that might encourage some some less um, physical play. It's all going to be a trickle down effect. We're probably going to see uh, press coverage quite a bit at the beginning and maybe more nickel looks in terms of the linebackers formation and try to play uh, more speed on the, on defense, much like the, the, the Buccaneers did, but that's probably going to be phased out in the first, I don't know, three games, I would think. Yeah. A little complimentary football. I like it. Right on. Um, so Dan, I more just a question for you. I'm curious what kind of got you into the film analysis. Like when did you feel like, okay, this is something that I want to do all the time that I'm good at. Like where, what was that process like for you? Yeah. The process for finding this was probably the longest process of my life. Um, When I got out of the military, I didn't know what I necessarily wanted to do. And it's not exactly easy to find your footing after getting out of the military when you're being told what to do for the last, you know, yeah, four or five sure. years. Um, so I went to college and I, I tried to develop, uh, you know, get a, at least some credits in multimedia. But and at the, initially I started writing my, on my own, trying to to get something just in general of football, because that's what I've always wanted to do is talk, write, whatever be a broadcaster it doesn't matter something to do with football yeah and i just tried to start on my own like three to four times i had this url to like a writing site that i i did a couple things for it never caught on i got discouraged i like made my own youtube page made videos to try to do it and didn't ever catch on and then i found twitter one day this yeah 2018 um beginning of 2018 i think um that's kind of when it all clicked for me specifically i found you know ap originally i got started with a lot of the guys actually i reached out to multiple people i uh, gary from arrowhead pride at the time uh-huh yeah uh, seth kaiser and joshua briscoe to try to help hone my writing skills like i i legit reached out to all of them and since i was in the 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 ap fan post i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do so i you know i first did a couple of just regular pieces and then you know i actually started reading the articles on the site and i found film and i asked around about how you know i can find where all of this is and i found you know the link to game pass and unfortunately you do have to buy it but you know whatever I, i figured this is something i can actually do like a my wife has always been telling me like i'll be watching football game and then i'll tell everybody sure. in the room what's happening or <laughs> yeah. what's about to happen and then yeah. it happens tony romo done yeah <laughs> yeah so it was it, it's been something that i've always found joy in doing and you know obviously that reaction of people like what how did you know that was going to happen so it was just kind of it fit and it all just kind of came in at the same time i had a couple things written in the fan posts um at arrowhead pride then the dissonance Dissonance with AAP went down. Guys overhead AG. No kidding. Yeah, that that thing went down. And, uh, you know, Tony reached out to me and it just kind of took off from there. Yeah, Taylor and I both contributed fan posts from time to time at at Arrowhead Pride. Yeah, we love AP. 
led into yeah. our uh, our moonlighting with uh, SI when we contribute there, and we haven't in a while. But we'll we'll dust the we'll dust the books back off. You know, we gotta we gotta <laughs> make trying those. to get those check marks. We gotta we're trying yep. to get those check marks. We're we're pushing for the blue checks. They're handing those out again, so we gotta get into that. So obviously, I mean, you're talking about getting into Twitter you know, 2018 and you're writing these fan posts. Well, 2018 was a very special year for us. <laughs> That's true. Fans. What, what was it like? And this was around the time, I mean, Taylor and I were writing fan posts that first summer before he even, like when he was in OTAs Yeah. and we were just writing these crazy fan posts and getting totally geeked for what we were about to see. You know, we were, we were on the bandwagon, you know, I mean, we weren't big draft guys back then, but you know, chiefs move up, they take a quarterback at number 10 and we obviously got to see the preview in week 17 against the Broncos in the 2017 season. And then what was it like kind of jumping into this world of like, I'm going to start doing film at the same time that, this God of quarterbacking Patrick Mahomes bursts on the scene. I mean, like, what do you remember about the early days? Dude, I am like the most jaded and privileged film <laughs> watcher ever. I literally started doing this as Mahomes was the quarterback of the Chiefs and specifically it. covering the Chiefs. So as much as we talk about how it must suck to, you know, be other teams and watch have you know bad quarterback play, having to watch Andy Dalton as the quarterback of the Bengals for all those years and then having to do it for the Cowboys last year like I've had to legitimately watch bad quarterbacks to get a feel for what average quarterbacking looks like <laughs> in the NFL so that I can accurately break down players so I'm not sitting here like why isn't he just running out throwing up across his body the other side of the field <laughs> sure, right. he's yeah. wide open yeah. come on so so it's I I mean I tell you what this beginning of this that week 17 game just it made it just made me want to like not i see i was i was an alex smith liker i loved alex smith as a player sure. as a person what he did i wasn't one of the people calling for his job because i saw what Mahomes did um obviously when we go to the second quarter of the titans game that year that's a little different story yeah but i think it was necessary for everything that transpired the chiefs won their super bowl and i'm not in any way ashamed of how they got to it but yeah. mahomes in the beginning obviously we all know that when we started watching he's lighting every every defense up he's just lighting them up then they go to pittsburgh and pittsburgh's Six vaunted shots. defense that has just killed alex smith for years and mahomes is just like what's this defense yeah, yeah. it goes into yeah. the belly of the beast i mean playing at pittsburgh is about the, as nightmare of a scenario for a chiefs quarterback as you get and yeah. you just slayed him without even really thinking about it it was it was an incredible display of everything that they've ever wanted to do offensively and mahomes was just finding literally the most wide open players in Chris his third Connelly. game his third game <laughs> Yeah, it was it was unreal. The beginning of this whole thing, like like I said, it's made me jaded, but it's also made me a better film evaluator because it has forced me to watch more quarterback play. Because obviously, <laughs> no real Chiefs fan would just just like solely Chiefs fan would go out of their way to watch guys like Daniel Jones nope. and Andy Dalton Pass. and Sounds things like people. Exactly. So I mean, we I, dealt with that with Gerback and with Matt Castle. Exactly. I mean, you know, we don't need to rehash bad oh, quarterback God, play. Castle. We are ready Bernie for Coyle. Yeah. I mean, every quarterback basically exactly. other than Trent Green that in the last 20 years. So I mean, you know, sign me up for godlike quarterback play. We are due for it. Yes. I, I can't 
begin to tell you exactly how true that is. And I know that I'm still a, a younger uh, Chiefs fan in my for myself, but we all deserve what's happening right now. And Mahomes right. is going to set all the records. Do you, <laughs> he's think he's the most, do you think he's the most talented quarterback that's ever played football? Oh, I do. Man. That's why I ask that. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can definitely think that uh, he's probably the most talented, especially because we're talking about quarterbacks nowadays are, are 100% built differently than they've ever yeah. been. Yeah. Dan Marino is probably like the e- echelon of quarterback before guys like Aaron Rodgers yep. and yep. Mahomes and Josh Allen. Right. Now we're seeing that breed of quarterback come in that is going to be different than it's ever been. And we're going to see the – scoring in the nfl is going to explode over the next like three to four years it's going to be absolutely ridiculous but yeah i I would think i I definitely think to this point he's the most talented quarterback there's ever been yeah i mean to your point i mean guys like marino and even you know up to breeze manning brady guys that were obviously like in terms of just pure pocket passers the the best that you can be but didn't have the element that mahomes has being able to roll out and throw the ball 60 yards down the field on a dime. (laughs) You know, people like to, of course, mention John Elway in that breath. Of course, the difference is that John Elway couldn't stand in the pocket and hit the broadside of a barn uh, half the time, you know, that he was playing. But Mahomes, I mean, you're talking about a guy that has the, the skills to succeed in the pocket. He's like one of the best pocket passers we've ever seen. And then also has that additional element on top of that. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And he gets better when he's down and he gets, I mean, every aspect of quarterback play that you ask for, he's a great leader. He, you know, the, the thinking on his feet quickly, everything you've ever wanted out of an NFL quarterback, he does at the peak level. I just, every time we talk about him, you know, sometimes, you know, Austin and I do our show weekly and we talk about all the other aspects of the chiefs. And I just always kind of, you know, my, my uh, lighthouse or whatever, like I just always come back to the fact that, we still get to watch Mahomes weekly and we still get to watch the most gifted quarterback I've ever seen go out there and throw balls around. And I just, I, I wonder real quick, do you, do you ever really think about like the chiefs as far as the macro scale in the NFL, like, like all time record book type of like, how much does that play into your like fandom as it were? Because I know for Austin and I, we talk about like legacy and like, where these guys are going to end up all time. We, we talk about that all the time. It's very, very important to us. Is that something you really, you kind of think about a lot? I can't say that I do, but I think that it's an interesting topic to talk about definitely because when you think about what the chiefs could have put themselves into, you know, consideration for over the next 10 years, they're going to be much like the Patriots in the sense that they're always going to have a chance with Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Like that's the end result is what you obviously want. And they're going to have multiple Hall of Fame players on this offense and probably defense too. I think that if they can keep, you know, Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones at this level for the rest, most of their careers, I think they're going to contribute to multiple different Hall of Fame players. And then, that's another avenue to go through because we all know that it doesn't matter. Pro Bowls don't matter. They're stupid, but unfortunately they are required to go in the hall of fame, which is essentially the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) But um, yeah. So the, um, the end result of the entire career of, you know, Patrick Holmes, who's going to play here for 
another 20 years probably. I think that what we're seeing with uh, Tom Brady and uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to trickle down. He knows how to take care of his body. He's got a great trainer. He's going to have a great training staff the rest of his career. I definitely think he's going to take some of what Tom Brady has done because the guy is you, – you can hate him all you want to, but he's an yeah, we do, but... incredible <laughs> – Yeah, he's a robot. Incredible – specimen of a, a quarterback he's going to be 45 this year. 45 ridiculous. ridiculous he's ancient as a quarterback and yet he's still winning so i just i i can't imagine that mahomes doesn't take some of what he's done to try to extend his career in the same way and they're going to be on pace for one of the greatest organizations in the history of the nfl yeah it's wild just to think of where the chiefs were you know, just right before Mahomes, right before that, where they were, you know, playoff idiots and they didn't have good quarterback play. And they, I mean, everything that basically you would ask for a team to do well, they hadn't been able to do. And then the moment 15 walks into the building, their entire trajectory of the franchise just does a complete 180. I mean, we, that's just something that, you know, between all the games they win. Yeah, that's great. But it's, it's more about the, the mentality of the fan base and the the mentality of the team. It's just been, it's been awe inspiring, really incredible. Dan, we're, uh, we're um, we've, we've kind of covered everything that we wanted to cover Um, before we say goodbye and let you go. Why don't you tell us kind of, again, just what you're working on, where people can find your stuff. Um, Because obviously we want our listeners to be able to, to get out and support you. It's been a blast, man. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I just talking about football and chiefs, just, if you can't tell, I get excited about yeah, it. Oh, it's yeah, like buddy. most of you do. It's the best. I think it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. But you can find me on Twitter in Harm's Way 19. I just changed it because it used to be complicated with an underscore, and this is just way better. It's a better damn. Should I do that anyway? I'm Taylor Underwit, <laughs> and I hate saying it. <laughs> exactly. See, it's just it, it can get annoying sometimes. But um, I know that Ryan. Ryan Tracy, who I work with at, at RGR Football on YouTube, where you can also find all of my work for the Chiefs, is all exclusively on that channel. He's used to screw up my my ta- my name all the time, so I just made it easy. <laughs> this one one thing all the way through, um, and then I this past year I've recently started working for the Fantasy Football Astronauts. I do a lot of film review there, also on YouTube. All will be posted on. Twitter as well. I'm currently working, like you guys know, on the McCall Hardman film. I'm also going to be actually doing a piece for Ryan, the, the RGR football channel, about the importance of the run game, even in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. I'm hopefully going to have some information from Nate Tice, if you guys follow Nate on Twitter. Yeah, love he Nate and Tice. I have a an ongoing DM conversation. We talk about a lot of different things. He's going to come back on the RGR football channel show. So, That'll be fun. I'm also doing a lot of different breakout potential candidates for the, for fantasy football this year. I think I'm currently working on Anthony Ferkser, um as mm, Titans talking. tight end. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting one. I'm going to get to just so you know that's a that's a very interesting situation. But yeah, just uh, basically a lot of YouTube stuff, and I just film is definitely my my thing. All right, guys, thank you so much, and it is always sunny in Chiefs Kingdom. <laughs>